this afternoon. And they were with me and Susan down in Florida all week and had a good time. So it was good for them to get away. And I hope this summer you found a chance to get away as well uh, yourself. Um, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to need that table after all. It's, I got more junk up here than I need. Um, hey, it's good to see you again uh, here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, boy, I'm blessed. And it's good to see Kay back, a dear friend and a wonderful member years ago for this church and now living in California. Kay, God bless you. Give her a hand, would you please? Good to see all of you here today. <clears throat> I uh, really feel I have a word for you today, and we're going to get into communion. Thanks, my friend. We're going to get into communion and have some communion together around the table of the Lord in just a little bit. But I do want to share a word with you today that I really believe that the Lord gave to me for you and, and for this church, and I just want to uh, uh, lay it out uh, for you. So would you take your Bibles this morning and turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, if you would. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And last time I was here, two weeks ago, I spoke to you about passing on a generational blessing, passing on blessing to the next generation. And that's the plan of God. He wants his covenant, his blessing to go from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And I talked last time, two weeks ago that I was here, about how we fight for our children. And it really is... uh, uh, probably uh, there's about seven uh, at that point. There was that was number seven last uh, time uh, of different things we can do proactively to make sure that there's a passing on of generational blessing from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And and this morning I want to read uh, just a couple of scriptures for you and then expound on them a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, as I do, I uh, believe the Lord's going to speak to every one of us in the room. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me for the water thing. I don't usually do that, but after I got done speaking two weeks ago, I went home with the worst cold. I don't know who had it in this room, but someone gave me a cold, and I have been dealing with it ever since I I, uh, got back home and then back here, and it's now going away, but my throat is still a little uh, messed up. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, and looking at verse 12. Look at verse 12 in your Bibles. Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's verse 12. Now drop down to verse 17. And it says this. Take the helmet of salvation and, and here's what I want you to underline, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the part to underline. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now really, this is the next message, if you would, the next chapter, if you would, of passing on generational blessing. The last time that I was with you, I said it was fighting for your children. This time, if I had to put a title on it, it would be go to war. Get involved in the war. I'm old enough, 62 years old, by the way. My brother today turned 60, so it's nice to have another one. I'm the oldest in the family now. He's 60. I was laughing with him on the phone. Uh, and he's such a laid-back guy. Oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, right. Tell me all about that. 
In the year 1969, there was a cultural prophet, if you would, that spoke against the challenges of the time. I was, getting in, I was in high school, getting out of high school, going to college. I, I guess I would call him a minor prophet. He wasn't a major prophet. Uh, but this minor prophet spoke out in what would become, by the way, it's probably the number one protest song of all time. Of all time. This cultural prophet, this minor prophet, spoke out against a war. It was in that day, it was the Vietnam War. <clears throat> in fact, I have uh, friends that ended up going to uh, Vietnam, I, I drafted, that died in Vietnam. And, uh, and this song became the number one protest of the day. And it really actually is the same today. It's, it carries that same uh, uh, weight. It's a song that was obviously anti-war, and it assumed. The, the premise of the song was that evidently someone didn't understand the, the, uh, the value and the purpose of war. In other words, this writer, who, who was, his name was Norman Whitfield, and the song was actually made famous by a singer. I don't think he ever sang another song by a guy named Edwin Starr. He sought to educate the world about the value and the purpose of war, and he spoke out in song against war, against the Vietnam War. And the name of the song was this, War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Remember that song? In fact, that song was made famous by uh, Jackie Chan and, and Chris Tucker in that movie. I forget the name of the movie. Rush Hour. You remember? When, when Chris Tucker goes, war. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is it good for? And, and then, if you remember Jackie Chan, he interprets what Chris Tucker is saying, and he starts all with the hand motions and the, the judo and all that sort of stuff, which is an interesting thing because that's how he interpreted it. It was hand motions. In fact, I'll come back to that, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. I mean, it was just right there, right in your face kind of thing. Now, probably the most effective, I'm not going to dance anymore, okay, that was my, <laughs> the most effective strategy of the enemy to date has been to perpetuate the illusion that he does not exist. He has, in mass, so infected the mentality and mindset of the world and the culture, and by the way, the generations, to such a degree that there are those now that will actually dismiss his very existence. He doesn't even exist. Let that simmer for a moment. Possibly the most effective deception, and he is a deceiver, make no doubt, is to deceive nations and peoples and cultures and have them assume and believe that he does not exist at any level. For if, in fact, he does not exist, then he warrants no or little attention. And he doesn't want attention that way. And the little attention would be categorized even for the most part, as myth or, you know, well, their church extremism or whatever the case may be. But one of the most effective weapons to date that the enemy has perpetrated is the idea that he does not even exist. And therefore, if he does not exist, he is free to run rampant. If we're going to be involved at any level that we're involved in, whether it's our home, our marriage, our children, our world, our culture, our neighborhoods, our city, whatever the case may be, if we're going to be involved in a spiritual passing, and that's why it's important, of generational blessing, 
we would be remiss, we would be in great error to not assume that the passing of that blessing then becomes a target for the enemy every single time. If we're talking about passing, uh, the passing of blessing from one generation to the next, we would be, what's a good word, dumb. How's that for a good word? We would be short-sighted if we do not assume that the devil, the enemy, does not want you to bless your children. Come on, amen. If you assume that he does not care, you're going to miss something. If you assume that he is not interested in your blessing your children, you will miss something every single time because it's part of his assignment, his agenda to block, to short-circuit the plan of God, and most importantly, the transgenerational plan of God of passing blessing from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. That's why the fight is so important. And so you've heard me say, and I'll say it again, for the most part, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. It's like a bloodline. My name, David. My last name, David. If I had no brothers, but I have two of them, and I had no children, I had no sons, there would be an ending of my daddy's bloodline with me. You see, the name David would die with me. It is the blocking and stopping of passing from generation to the next that catches the attention of your enemy and my enemy. Because if he can stop in the Spirit the blessing that has been passed to me, with me, and then passed to the next generation, then he will stop the blessing on my family. Now, I don't know about you, but I want blessing on my family. My point is, he wants to stop that passing. The reality is, he, that creates then a conflict, or let's say the word, it creates a war. There's a war. Come on, can I tell you again? There's a war. If you don't get anything else out of what I say today, please get this. There is a war going on. And the enemy would have you either dismiss it and not be aware of it, or at the best, minimize it. But the reality is we're in a war. Paul used this term. He said, now what? We wrestle not. One version says we struggle not. We war not. But the point is, we don't war this way, but we do war that way. And that's what I want to talk to you about. So come with me. Here we go, all right? Ready? 2 Corinthians 10 says, and by the way, it says there's a war going on. I want you to get that in your spirit. You've got to get that part in your spirit. The culture is antithetical to that principle. The secularized, humanized, narcissistic culture in which we live denies the reality of Satan. It denies the reality of an enemy. The agnostic, the atheistic thread that runs through culture that denies God, by definition, denies demons and Satan. By the way, think about it. You cannot believe in God and not believe in the devil. You cannot believe in heaven and not believe in hell. But here's what you need to see. The enemy does not want you to believe in him. And Paul speaks to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. And listen what he says here. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, now watch the tension in this verse. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. Now, don't miss that. He establishes a truth here. And this is not flesh in the sense of sin, but it's flesh in the sense of humanity. My humanity. We walk in the natural, but we do not war in the natural. The assumption still is with Paul, there is a war. We're in a war. We do not war in the sphere or realm of the flesh. We live in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. Now, now the next verse there, watch. For the weapons of our warfare... Now stop right there. There's an assumption, number one, with that, that we're in a war. But praise God, there's also the assumption that we do have weapons. Yeah, come on. More than 19 people should have said amen with that one. In other words, if I have to be in one, a war, then can can a brother get some help over here somewhere? Come on, amen? With a weapon for that war. So we are in a war, but we do not war this way, but we war, Paul says, a different way, another way. And we have weapons for that warfare. Now then, (coughs) excuse me, he goes on to describe the weapons and he says, these weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for what? For the pulling down of strongholds. Now, Now make a note to yourself about that. There's strongholds. And I would suggest to you that Satan has occupied, and I'm not going to have time to develop it, maybe another day we'll come back, seven strongholds with with which he controls culture. Seven mountaintops, high places. That's a conversation for another time. But go back and understand what Paul said here. We war, but we don't war in the flesh. We live in the flesh but we do have weapons for this war. And he says the weapons are mighty in God. Now now go back to Ephesians 6, verse 12 again. For we wrestle not, here it is, here it comes, against flesh and blood, make the connection there, between flesh and blood and walking in the natural and the physical, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Stop right there. Now go back and understand what Paul's saying here. We war, but we don't war in the flesh. We live in the flesh. But we do have weapons for this war. Okay? Now think about that. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting a vertical view of the war. He says, listen, here's what he does. You walk down here, but we war up there. Give it to you again. We walk in the flesh, but we war in the spirit. Let me give it to you again. We walk on low ground, but we war on high ground. One more time. We walk in the earth realm, but the warfare 
is in the spirit realm. He says the warfare is not against anything. This is a word for somebody right here, right now. In flesh and blood. That means, look at, you know what that tells me? If you spend any time fighting against anything wrapped in flesh and blood, you're fighting the wrong enemy. So that it's never, according to Paul, about him or her. If I ever get my focus on him or her, I'm fighting the wrong battle. Because him or her is wrapped in flesh and blood. And the man just said, we don't war against flesh and blood. Which is another strategy of the enemy. Listen, (coughs) can I tell you something about the enemy? If he can get you and me to fight the wrong enemy on the wrong battlefield, we've lost the war already. Notice what he does. He wants you to fight the wrong enemy. The enemy does. He wants you to fight the wrong enemy on the wrong battlefield. It's like a football team that shows up to the wrong field of play. They were supposed to go to that field over there. They were supposed to go to Seacrest Field, and they ended up in some other field. How many know showing up at the wrong field forfeits the game? You lose. <clears throat> what the devil wants you to do is get stuck on the wrong battlefield and lose by forfeit. Because you haven't showed up where the real battle is going on. Oh, God, help me preach this to you this morning. Are you getting this? You need to understand how slick he is. So Paul wants us to know we fight a certain battle against a certain enemy on a certain battlefield, and we do not fight in the earth realm. Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans down in Dallas, pastors of a great church, probably has one of the best definitions of what true spiritual warfare really is. I mean, this guy's got a great theological mind. Dr. Tony Evans. Here's how he defines spiritual warfare. He goes this way. Spiritual warfare, he says, is the conflict in the invisible realm that is manifested or seen in the visible physical realm that affects our lives. It affects us. It's warfare in the demonic and spiritual realm up there but it's manifest in the physical realm in your life and mind, and it's a warfare between the enemy and God. And you and I, I hate to tell you this, particularly if you're a new Christian, but you and I get caught up in the crossfire, and at the end of the day, it's not even about you. You just happen to get caught up in the crossfire. And that's why you have to understand what's happening in the spiritual realm. The battle is between God and Satan. And both have what we would call foot soldiers. God's foot soldiers are angels. Those angels are messengers sent on assignment by God. For example, I'll give you an example. Daniel was praying. The Bible says his prayer was delayed 21 days. Because the angel who had the answer was delayed for 21, you read it, in a battle that Daniel never even saw. And while he is 
on his knees praying and seeking God for a relief for 21 days, (coughs) assuming that God has not answered his prayer. Anybody ever been there? What he could not see in the invisible realm, God had already, already dispatched the answer to his prayer from the very first time he prayed it, and yet there was a conflict. And it's almost like the guy who has a football and is trying to go from this end of the field down to that end zone down there, and he's got to go through every tackle and every strategy and everything of the enemy in order to get from here to go down there. And it takes some time. It takes some strategy. It takes some movement. He's in a war. He has to go through all sorts of tackles. And you've got to understand, there's a battle in the spirit realm that you and I cannot see, but it impacts your prayer life. It impacts your faith life. It impacts your life with the Lord. And in actuality, you're caught in the crossfire between the battle between light and darkness. God's foot soldiers are angels. The devil has foot soldiers who are called, in Ephesians here, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, which are in essence a hierarchy of demonism, a hierarchy of the demonic world, under the commander, if you would, of the devil himself. They're like his spiritual mafia. And they move at his command. And they do so against the people of God. And so there's this ongoing warfare in the invisible realm, but it is manifested in the visible, physical realm. And it impacts your life, and it impacts my life, and it impacts the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ under the authority of Almighty God. Is anybody getting this? Now listen to me. I want you to see the reality of it. And there's a war going on. I want you to see the resonance of it. Uh, where, Where does it occur? It occurs in the spirit realm. He clearly says we do not battle against flesh and blood. And so even if a home is in trouble, the enemy gets the victory when husbands fight with wives. Okay, You knew I was going to move to the deep end of the pool. And parents fight with children. And one generation turns against another generation. Because all of that is in the earth realm. And the warfare is lost already because the warfare is in a different battlefield. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And here's the key. King James says it this way. (coughs) But we wrestle, and by the way, one version says, we struggle... Another version, the battle is we wrestle against the hierarchy of the enemy, principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. The key word is we wrestle. Wrestle, struggle, fight. We're waging war. Now now here it is. The word wrestle in this context is a word that means, listen, listen, It means hand-to-hand combat. It's not some far-off remote thing. It's right up front, hand-to-hand. 
Hand-to-hand combat, combat, it's used in two settings. Number one, in the setting of a wrestling match, listen, where you've got to get your hand on the, on the opponent. You can't just sort of blow it away. You've got to get in there. It's even different than a boxing match. Paul uses in another scripture the, the, a picture of a boxer in another passage, but not in this one. He's talking about a wrestler. You've got to lay hands and not to bless on the enemy. Hand-to-hand combat. Paul says the battle that you're facing is not one where you push a button and strike the enemy on the other side of the world. It's not where you send a missile from one place to another. No, 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 no. This is hand-to-hand combat. This war in the spirit is like going hand-to-hand with some enemy, says Paul. Here's the point. Hand-to-hand implies a personal, intimate war. The war is not out there. It's personal and intimate. It's a warfare that impacts your very life. You may know what I'm talking about. It's a warfare that impacts your journey here on earth. Now watch this. He says the war is hand-to-hand, and yet God has given us a resource. In verse 17, Ephesians 6, we are in war. It is a war in the spirit realm. We've been given weapons for this war. The war is intimate battle. It's personal battle in the earth realm in our lives is where it's manifest. However, it originates in the spirit realm. The question then becomes, what is the weapon? Ephesians 6, 17 I read it to you earlier, says this, take therefore the helmet of salvation. Salvation. Now stop right there. I came into that setting at verse 17 for a reason. Because prior to that, in verse 16 and 15, it talks about the, uh, the feet being shod and uh, the, the loin girded about. To... L- l- listen, in fact, verse 17 is the last of the armor, the spiritual armor. Every piece of armor is for defense. Every garment that's listed there is to protect something. Feet, body, shield, the salvation helmet, uh, head and mind. Girding up the loin is how he used it in the old King James. uh, Keeping your heart and your inwards okay. And the last thing he says there is the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. But then he he speaks only of one offensive weapon. He says, we have been given weapons for this warfare, but in the armory listed in Ephesians 6, there's only one weapon. Everything else, in my opinion, is gear. It's covering. It's uniform. It's to protect. It's protective covering on our bodies. But the one weapon, he says, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of The weapon that we have in this warfare that is in the spirit realm but not the earth realm is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word for sword is a particular word for sword. In fact, in the Bible, there were two types of swords. Now I'm really getting crazy on you. 
One is the sword with that long blade. You pull it. You've got the long, long, long blade. It's the sword with which you stand back a bit from your enemy and you do battle with a long blade. Basically, you're trying to stay out of the point of his, his blade and take the point of your blade and jab it into him. But that is not the sword in the text. This word is a particular word for the, a particular kind of sword. It's not this long drawn sword by which you fight at a distance, but it is in fact the sword that you wear at your belt. It's actually more like a dagger. It's more like a big knife. And I'm not talking Swiss blade. Not that. But it's short, sword, dagger type. It's handy at your belt. Now, now watch. He says this sword is in fact the sword of the Spirit, comma, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is in fact the Word of God. Long or short? Well, what's the difference, Pastor? It's the short sword that is used in hand-to-hand combat. It's the short sword in the intimate close-up battle you're able to respond very quickly. In closer hand-to-hand combat, you've got to have a weapon. We've not been given weapons, he says, that are carnal, but the weapon that we have is a sword. It's a sword that is empowered by the Spirit, and it's a sword that is revealed by the Spirit. It is the Spirit, I say, who activates the particular weapon. It is the Word of God. Sword, Spirit, Word of God. One more time. There's a weapon for offense. It is the only weapon of attack. Every other piece listed in the Bible is for defense. That's why he says, when you have done all that you can to stand, stand. Why? Because your standing is covenant protected. You would think he would say, when you are attacked, attack. No, no, no. He says, why would he say stand instead of move forward? He says, stand, because you're not moving to acquire property and acquire possession. You already have the protection. And you stand to hold on to what you already have and what you've already been given by God. You stand to protect what you've already been given by God. And God says, if you'll just stand in praise and don't let the enemy shake you, and after you have done all that you can to stand, you just keep standing, you're going to be okay. Because the victory's already been given. As long as you stay in the battle. That's a word for somebody right there. In fact, tell your neighbor, stand up. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to stand, but you know what I'm saying. Listen, 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 watch me. Look, look, don't come off the battlefield. Don't come off. Don't you drop your guard. Don't you go home and cry. Don't you walk away in defeat. You stand there and see the salvation of the living God as God gives you the victory that he's already declared over your life. All you have to do, all I have to do is receive it. But whatever you do, you hang in there. 
Stay in there. Stay in there. Stay in. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now here's the last thing, and then we're going to take communion, and I'm done. The sword of the Spirit, the weapon for the battle, is the Word of God. The key, the weapon, is in the Word. The Word. Give it to you again. The key, the weapon, is in the Word, the Word. The weapon is the Word of God. The most common word for Word when relating to the Word of God is the word in Greek called Logos. L-O-G-O-S. We would call it the Bible. It speaks of the Word in totality. It speaks of the Word that God has delivered. It speaks of the Word that the early church read, the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms. That's what, it was the Word, the body of the Word. We would call it Genesis to Revelation. But when the Bible says we have one weapon, and it is the Word of God. It, it's not the Word that reminds you of the Bible or of God in totality. That's not what he's talking Listen, it's not this Genesis to Revelation Word. But when we are in a battle, listen to me, hear me, Genesis to Revelation won't help you. The best way to see the Word is see it as a scabbard, if you would, a holder for the sword or the knife or the weapon. It's not just this word, but in this word, there is a word. It's in there. Just got to pull it out. In this word, somewhere between Genesis and Revelations, there is a word, and when you and I go to battle, you do not battle with Genesis to Revelation. Sometimes you ain't got time for Genesis to Revelation. You got to be able to pull out a word out of this word, and a word is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't need Genesis to Revelation, but inside that, we know all things work together for good. Why is it called spirit? Because Jesus said, watch. And the Spirit will bring to your remembrance what I have said in the Word. And out of the Word, I've got a word for you right now for this battle. 
I got a word for somebody, a word for somebody today. Come on, you ready? Fret not yourself because of evildoers. They shall soon be cut down. There's a word. I got a word for you. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. There's a word for you. I got a word for you. If God be for us, he's more than the whole world against us. Got another word for you this morning. If I listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is after you. Well, I, I made that one up, but that's the same idea. That's the word. Listen to me. Your weapon is a word. Your weapon is a word. Your victory is in a word. Your super spiritual folks that are here, don't take this the wrong way. But when I'm in a battle, I don't need just the word. I need a word. Because it is a word This word for word is called rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Rhema is a word from the word. It's a word that you need for the battle that is standing right in front of you. A rhema word is a specific word, listen, for a specific situation in your specific battle. A word that is a rhema word is the specific word out of the word that applies to your specific battle in a specific moment that you're in. A word rhema is not just Genesis to Revelations. A word is a word somewhere between the two that God speaks to me in the hand-to-hand battle that I am in with the enemy at my front so that my victory is in the word, which is my weapon, so that I can do battle in the spiritual realm right now and right now. Because if the battle is in the spirit, you've got to have yourself a weapon that comes from the spiritual realm. And so Paul says, you got to get this. We wrestle not, but we do wrestle. Come on. We battle not, but we do battle. We struggle not, but we do struggle. We war not, but we, we do war. And we do war in this way. We do war, we do battle, we struggle in the spirit realm. Watch, now watch. The victory is in the spirit realm. But it will be manifest in the earth realm. Did you get that? Make the connection. Warfare is a conflict in the spirit realm but is manifest in the earth realm. That's why we feel it some days. So if my victory is in the spirit realm, 
it will likewise be manifest right where I'm. <laughs> Woo, I could almost shout right there. So if you're going to watch, if you're going to pass on blessing onto the next generation, I got news for you, dear one. You're going to have to go to war. I have a forecast for you today. In the end, you win. You win. Because the revelation is, in the end, your weapons are mighty. They are mighty in the powers of God. In the end, your weapons are in the spiritual realm. And they do battle in the dimension of the Spirit. you got to get this. I'm going to pray for you this morning. You're facing a battle. You're going through some stuff. But if you're thinking your enemy is so-and-so and so-and-so, if you think your enemy is the father of your children, I just went to the deep end of the pool and didn't give you any warning. You got the, you got the whole thing turned upside down. You got it messed up. Your enemy isn't that. It's not flesh and blood. You're not wrestling in flesh and blood. It's a spiritual thing. Oh, it's manifested right where you lived. I'm not doubting all that. You're feeling it. You're dealing with it. It's right real. You just got to fight the right battle on the right battlefield with the right purpose. And then you'll be able to do what Chris Tucker did, war. <laughs> Tell you what, war has a, has a value. I'll go to war for my kids. I'll go to war for my grandchildren. Oh, yes, I will. I'll go to war for my marriage. I'll go to war for a lot of stuff. But I got to know what I'm going to war for. For the right reason, in the right way, on the right battlefield, with a specific purpose. And I realize it's going to be hand to hand. But we're going to get the job done. Because he's given us weapons. And I'll take my sword all day long. And when I got to, yeah, okay, yeah, we're in the middle of it. I'm face to face with the enemy. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a wrestling. Here we go. Pull it out right there. Come on. Take me on. I'll take you on. Principalities and powers know that if that child of yours, that grandchild, ever gets a strong sense of a father that loves them, that that will shape his or her identity, and that child will grow, watch, 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 will grow up to be his enemy. And so the enemy, I get this, I get this, I figured this out a long time ago, you better figure it out too. That's why the enemy attacks fathers. To short-circuit the blessing that God has already ordained. That's why. And if you're not careful, you'll fight the wrong enemy on the wrong battlefield for the wrong reason. 
The enemy is not just the one who did what they did to you. The enemy is the spirit of the demonic that wants to now monopolize and manipulate what the, that person did to you so that you will be scared for the rest of your life. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And as long as you and I hold on, listen, I'll go to the negative. As long as we hold on to the bitterness against the wrong enemy, you've lost the war. That's why God, I love his word. That's why God, who is the healer today, heals the hurts that the enemy has inflicted upon us. That's why God heals us. Just to show the devil that you cannot be stopped. <laughs> Come on. The devil missed his chance with you. He should have taken you out the last time that you were down. He messed up again. Because God has already ordained that you and I will come through this, watch, and we will be victorious, and God will be glorified in spite of what has happened. Did you hear what I just said? In spite of what has happened, God's going to be glorified. He does not win. Sue, you can come on up. Pastor, what verse is that in? Didn't learn that in a verse. Been there, done that. Did you hear me? Some things you've been there, done that, you learn. You just get it. I have fought. Come on. Am I talking to the wrong crowd? I have fought. I have fussed. I have cussed at the wrong person in my life. And so have you bunch of holy things you think you oh the, the pastor cussed yep yep mm-hmm. did that a couple times I'm not there yet not perfect yet yep I'm better now I didn't I don't cuss as fast as I used to cut me some slack would you please but it's because I've spent sometimes years I carried around a bitterness and an anger for years in some case. Listen, I, I can remember one case. I, I, I couldn't even stand, not just when I saw the guy, I couldn't, under, I couldn't stand it when I heard the guy's name, even if it was applied to somebody else. Just hearing the guy's name from somebody else whose name that name would get me all stirred up. Oh, you're sitting back there looking so holy. <laughs> Looking like you've never had a care and a problem in the world. Oh, you are. The rest of y'all need to come down to the altar and get saved this morning. What was all that about, Pastor? That was fighting flesh and blood. Yes. That's all that was. You can't fight flesh and blood and win. All you do is get bitter. All you do is get hurt. All you do is get jacked up in your mind. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But, come on, say but. They are mighty to the tearing down of every stronghold. <laughs> My God, come on. I want to tear down some, some strongholds this morning. Amen? You guys that are here to serve communion, you come on up. We're going to serve communion. And Dustin, help us. Tell us what's going to happen here now. Help us, because I'm going to pray in a few moments. But we're going to, I want you to get the communion elements in your hand. In fact, guys, I want you to pass out all of the communion elements. Get them all in their hands. And then we're going to pray. Don't do it. Don't take it before we've prayed, before we eat it together. But we're going to see God break some things in us. Come on, amen? We're going to see some strongholds come down. Go ahead and begin to pass it out. Talk to us, buddy. So communion, I want to just...